Morning, church family. If you have your Bibles, if you would open them to Matthew chapter 6. We'll be reading verses 1 through 18 this morning. Matthew chapter 6, verse 1 through 18. That's page 1030 in your pew Bibles if you, if you need that. Hear the word of the Lord. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray... You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and in the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your father who knows what you need, uh, your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, Your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but your heavenly Father who is in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is the word of the Lord. As people, we are, in general, so self-absorbed that for the most part, we're self-focused in our relationships with other people. We are keenly aware of the watching eye of the public around us, and we are very keenly aware of those that we know around us and what they may, or at least what we assume, they might be thinking about us. Let me see if I can show you in our culture a little bit of how we do this. First, more on the negative side, we are interested in what people see in us and see that we are doing and we're conscious of it almost to the fact that we only think about what we're doing when we believe others are watching. This is why we have referees at sporting events. Many of you spent a significant amount of time yesterday watching a sporting event. You will spend time this afternoon and evening watching uh, football. And if you really could see every player on a football field or on any play, there are really dirty moves that happen and uh, flags that could be thrown on almost every play. Now, the referees can't see all of them, but people want to do things that would give them an edge, and so we have to have referees to make sure that you're playing by the rules. Why? Because if no one's looking, if no one knows, then there was no foul, there was no penalty. We have cameras to 
uh, watch us at traffic lights because if we don't have someone watching, and many of you only stop because you know that there's a traffic light. Maybe you're not like me on that one, but I know when I'm riding through Nightdale that there are traffic cameras at a stoplight, and I better be extra cautious about what I'm doing. We have video surveillance in stores and some of us in our homes that uh, would keep others from stealing. Why would we need to do that? Because when people aren't watching, there's no telling what others, or perhaps we should turn it to ourselves, what we might do. I was watching a movie trailer this weekend or this week when Jenny and I were watching a movie together. And in this particular movie trailer, perhaps some of you will even know the movie when I say it, but I don't remember the actual movie that uh, it was advertising. But there's a dad sitting at a table with his wife and his really young son, probably seven or eight years old. And the dad looks at his young son and says to him, Son, if no one has seen what you did, you didn't do it. I think that you and I might live in a culture where that kind of mindset is there. But there's a flip side to it. Of course we know that there's a culture that we live in and perhaps if you and I were honest, we would be more free and more open to do what is evil as long as we don't believe anyone else is looking or anyone else would see. I've said for many years that's one of the lies of our enemies. No one will ever know and if you really believe no one will ever know, you feel free to sin. On the flip side of that, many of us would uh, not want to do things that are good or right or help others unless someone is looking. There are many people who work for uh, companies that would not do what they're expected to do unless they believe the boss is looking or someone else is watching after them. And so when the boss is there, you will do exactly what you're supposed to do. When you're walking on uh, the campus of your workplace, you'll lean down and pick up trash randomly because uh, the boss or someone that you uh, respect, they're looking and so you want to do that. I caught myself doing this, and this is confession to you as a church. I caught myself doing this a couple of uh, months ago with my wife. We were speaking at a church that I had gone to, and I really love the guys that are there. And we all walked out together, and I walked to my wife's door and opened the door for her. And even as I was doing it, I was thinking, why am I doing this now? This is so hypocritical because it's not what I do when it's just us. Jenny, in the grace that she has, simply got in and never said a word like, why don't you do that all the time? She never confronted me on it. But the Lord did because I knew that I'd done something that I thought was right in order to impress or what I thought might impress people that I really respected. So we do this on both sides. We, as people, really love for people to see what we're doing good, and we want them to acknowledge it, don't we? We like for people to acknowledge our good deeds and to give us praise. As a matter of fact, often we would not even do the good deed unless we really believe someone else is looking and they will indeed praise us for it. I had a mentor early in my ministry to tell me this phrase, and it stuck with me, and I believe it really captures a lot of what Jesus is saying in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount as we come to chapter 6. And that is that you are who you really are when you are alone, when it's just you, and no one else is looking, and no one else can see. We kind of picked that up last week in the end of chapter 5 as Jesus was trying to describe for us a true understanding of the law. 
And he said it's not just when you physically commit adultery that it's sin. It happens well before that when others may not see. They see what's going on in your heart. They see what's going on in your thoughts. And your sin begins well before anybody on this earth sees. When you are angry in your heart and in your mind well before it ever comes out to murder, your sin has already begun in your heart. So Jesus has dealt with us about sin that begins inside before it actually comes out into our actions. In chapter 6, Jesus is going to keep on this mindset, except he's going to turn the tables and say, for those of you who understand the law as I've described it, and you really want to live righteously, you really want to live in a manner that is pleasing to God, I'll say it this way, we used this phrase last week, you want to be a kingdom man or a kingdom woman, that is, living in the kingdom of God forever and ever and live as that citizen of this new kingdom. For those of you who want to do that, we're going to look at you as you practice your righteousness. Now you've made a commitment to practice righteousness from the inside out. Jesus is going to really drive down on the inside of you and say, even when you do good, Not only adultery and murder and all of those things, even when you do good, when you do things that are religious activities, you may be sinning in them because it's not so much the action as it is the motive of your heart. And so this morning I want to bring us again to this king who has declared a kingdom that will live forever And help us to understand what does it look like? What is it like? What would it require of us to be kingdom citizens? Now let me say to you, many of you may be guests with us this morning. Welcome today. I am jumping into the middle of a series. We are preaching through the gospel of Matthew. And so I hope today that you can jump into the middle of this gospel with us. Jesus has been introduced to us by Matthew as the one who has come to fulfill all of the prophecies in the Old Testament. He is the king that was prophesied. He is the seed of Abraham that has come to save his people from their sins. Matthew has been really careful to show us that Jesus is the king and he is setting up and proclaiming a kingdom that will be forever. Matthew's going to call it the kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And so as we see that, we know that we have been invited by the king who has come onto the scene in the flesh of Jesus Christ, the son of God, the one that is the God man to save us, to show us, to save us to what? To his kingdom. And now, beginning in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus has come and is giving his inaugural address as the king of kings, the king of a forever kingdom. He's already told us in the beginning of this address how we can come into the kingdom. We must come as those who are spiritual beggars. You need to understand that there is no merit, there is no way that you get entrance into the kingdom on your own. It is granted to you by the grace of God through faith in your life, coming to him, believing that the king is the king forever. He is making the way for you to come in. And so Jesus began by saying, you come as those who are spiritual beggars and acknowledge that you need me. So he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, those who are beggarly in their spirit. They know that they are bankrupt and they come to Jesus. Now, after that, he said, so I'm going to put you in the kingdom And now I'm going to transform you into kingdom men and women. And he says, here's what that looks like in chapter 5, verses 13 and following. It's going to be salt and light. You're going to be the salt of the earth. You're going to be a preservative in this earth, 
preparing you for the kingdom. You're going to be the light of the world. You are going to show others who the Father is and what the kingdom looks like. So God has brought you in. Now he is changing us to live like Jesus. And so we are talking about in this part of the sermon that Jesus is preaching, which goes from Matthew chapter 5 through the end of Matthew chapter 7. In this part of the sermon, he's teaching us about the law of God, how we are to follow after the things of God. And so I want you to go to chapter 6 with me and let's look at exactly what he is teaching us in this chapter. What is he telling us? Last week there were six antitheses to help us understand the law. And he says the law is more than rules. The law is more than external behavior. And so this week he's going to say for those of you who get that, you understand the law, here is how I want you to think about practicing it. So he says in chapter 6 verse 1, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. In order to be seen by them. So let me just say to you this morning as we come to this part of the text, there is a clear warning by Jesus right here that you and I cannot, must not miss. Must not miss it. You see, the warning is there is a danger, there is a danger of doing the right thing for the wrong reason. Now listen to me, church. You are all sitting in a church in America that has come up and and developed as a nation as this Judeo-Christian moralistic nation that believes that we're doing right. And Jesus has the audacity to say to you this morning, sitting in a church, you made your way in a rainy weekend to sit in a church and Jesus is saying to us in this sermon, you may be sitting here, you may be doing what you believe is righteous, but you may be doing it for the wrong reason. And if you are, it is sin. It is sin. I want to perk up and pay attention to what he's saying. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Listen, here's the problem. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. If I ask any of you today, if you do things that are pleasing to God and are according to God's rules and according to God's law and are pleasing in his sight, don't you want to have his favor? Don't you want to be in relationship with him and have the reward of our father who is in heaven? And I believe we would all say, yes, we would love to have that reward. Jesus is giving you a warning. Perk your ears up. Open your mind and your heart to this passage because he's saying you might be doing things that are right, but if you're not doing them for the right reasons, then you are going to have no reward. I want to listen to that warning. So let me say it a couple of ways to you this morning. You can do things that, fo- that a follower of Christ will do. You can look like a follower of Christ in your life and not be a follower of Christ. That's what he's going to tell you here. You can act like a disciple and not be a disciple. You see, it's not just what you do that matters. The more important thing is why you do what you do. So here's the question for you this morning. Why do I do what I do? Why do I do what I do for my Lord? Now before we even get into that, let me, let me make this statement to you. Jesus is in the middle of a sermon that's already talked about how to come into the kingdom. If you have not come into the kingdom, if you have not come to him as a spiritual beggar, acknowledging your bankruptcy that you can do nothing to get in his kingdom, then don't just jump in in chapter 6 and say, oh, if I do better, he's going to give me this reward. That's not, you've missed the first part of the sermon. 
The sermon is, this is for those who are in on the merit of Christ, and he is now changing you to be like Christ. So if you've never been changed, if you've never come to Christ, then you need to take a first step of trusting Christ, of coming as acknowledging, I can't keep all of this. I need the merit of Jesus. I need someone outside of me to do something so that I could be in the kingdom. And now once you see the grace that God has given us in doing something on our behalf, you will come and say, make me like him. Jesus, change me. Use my life. I die to me. Make me. So those of us who are coming to God and he's making us like him, this helps us to evaluate our life. Why do you do what you do? There's a danger in what you're doing. So there are some things here I want you. He's concerned for your life. Listen, let me say it this way before we jump into this text. Jesus is not just concerned with your external behavior. He is concerned with all of you. As it has been said, even over uh, the last couple of years, it has become a, a big statement for different groups and different clubs. Kingdom citizens are all in. Not just in my behavior, not just in what other people see in me, all of me. You are who you really are when you're alone and no one else is going to see so let's evaluate these three disciple habits that Jesus is going to give us. Beginning in verse 2, he is going to lay this out and give us three examples of what he's saying to us that we might understand what a disciple does. So if I could tell you, here's, here's what I want you to see. Disciple motives for disciple habits. Disciple motives for disciple habits. First, the disciple habit of giving to the poor. Look at verse 2. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and the streets, that they may be praised by others. And so I want you to listen to what Jesus is calling us to. First, he says, when. The word could be easily translated, whenever. There's an assumption here. As a matter of fact, the Jews would hold in high regard all three of these examples. Praying, fasting, and giving to the poor. These were indicators of the Jewish habits of religion. And so Jesus is pulling all of them out and saying, you may come into the kingdom and you may do these habits, but if you do them for the wrong reasons, you will have no reward except what you get from looking at other people or from other people looking at your life and praising you. So you should seek that with all that you can. He says here, when you give, whenever. The assumption is that you are going to give. And so I want to say from the very outset this morning, it's not the point of Jesus' sermon, but if you are not doing what he's talking about here, he is giving us some real disciple habits. When Jesus talks about giving to the poor and to the needy, I feel like I could spend the rest of our time talking about how you and I should give to the poor and the needy and how often we don't do that. We neglect to do that. So this morning, if you don't give to the poor and the needy, I want to challenge you to do so. He says, when you give... Whenever you give, it's an assumed practice. And if you don't give to the needy, there's nothing to be aware of. But if you do, you are beware of. There, if you do, there is something for us to beware of here. Let me just say this before we move on. If you don't give to the needy, you probably should pray about being a disciple of Christ. He calls us to be concerned with others, to be concerned with the widows and the orphans and those who uh, are being treated unjustly, those who can't... Uh, uh, Fend for themselves, those who need others. They are poor and needy, and the church has been that organization throughout its history who has given freely, abundantly to those who are needy because Christ would give to us. It is picturing the gospel when you give to the needy. 
So I'll just say to you before we move on, giving to the church is part of that. We as a church do give to the needy, but it's not all that we do. And it's not even so much of, a, uh, of an item in our budget that that should be uh, enough to satisfy your conscience. You and your family should give to those who are needy, and I have ways that I can recommend that to you. I thought this morning, even as I was praying about it this morning, I thought, well, I'll tell you how our family does it. I thought, no, then I'm doing exactly what the text says not to do. So I'm not going to tell you how we give to the needy, but I will give you a couple of options that you can begin to give. There are organizations, and you should probably do research on them, that give and support children all over the world. And I know that some of you are supporting children in different countries. That's a great way for us to give. We're going to do Operation Christmas Child, where we'll pack boxes for Samaritan's Purse, and we'll send them overseas to children. It's a great way to give to the poor and needy. Uh, Angel Griffin is going to head up for us a Christmas family ministry where we collect toys and then we go to poor families in our community. We actually try to build relationships with them. At Thanksgiving, feed a family that you know is needy. Invite them over to your house. Reach out. Church, if you say, I don't know anybody that's poor and needy, then come to me. I will try to introduce you to your neighbors because they're all around us. And so I would say, if you want to give to the poor and needy, live in the community in which you live. Find out who's there. Get out of your comfort zone and go and find them. But we, when we give to the poor and needy, we have a danger. And so he says, don't do it, verse 2, as the hypocrites. Whenever you give, don't sound the trumpets, don't let everybody know, and don't do it as the hypocrites. Many of you already know a hypocrite was someone that played in uh, some of the ancient plays and they were in the theater and uh, some of them would play one part and they would not be who they really were. They were an actor. So if you and I would think about it today as a movie uh, a star, someone that would play in a movie, they are not who they really are in that movie. They're putting on the persona of someone that they're portraying in that movie. And here's what Jesus is saying. You might actually put up the mask in front of your face that is the mask of a disciple. And one of the characteristics of the mask of a disciple is giving to the needy. So you want to do that. But he says those who are hypocrites, they do it and they want everybody to know that they're doing it. That's the telltale sign that you're holding up a mask. It's not really you. You want somebody to know. You announce your gift in a group like this and say, hey, I just want to give to this thing that is for the poor and the needy. I want somebody to know. And so he says to us, there's a danger here that you are revealing that it's not really you when you're doing it for the praise of others. What really is you is I give so that you will praise me, not because I'm a disciple and want to honor my Lord. Be careful then how you give. Notice how they were doing it. The mark of a hypocritical giving, they're doing it in public places. He says they're doing it in the synagogues. They're going in the meeting of a church and they're giving there and saying, oh, look what I gave, look what I give to someone. Or they'll stand up and say, I just want to give to this thing for the poor and the needy and they want the praise of others. Or they do it in the streets. They'll go stand on the street corners and, and give where everybody can see and so they'll get the 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 publicity and the reputation as, oh, look how great they are. And they're giving for the wrong reasons. Jesus says you're not really a disciple. You're holding up a mask as a disciple, but you're not really a disciple. You are who you really are when you're all alone. You give to the poor and needy. The question this morning is why do you do so? Why do you do so? Notice what he says. There's a clear contrast in all three of these. But when you give, the assumption is you are a disciple you don't want to be in this hypocritical living. You don't want to hold up masks. You want to be really you. So he says, you want to do it? 
when you give. Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. It's an extreme illustration for us to think about how could I do something with my right hand that my left hand doesn't know. Jesus is giving us a really extreme example here, a situation that you and I would really know how in the world could I do it. And Jesus says, work at giving in secret so much that no one would know what you're giving. When's the last time that you gave that nobody else knew? Nobody else knew what you were doing. Let me just share with you for just a moment. It's really fun to try to give and nobody else find out that you were giving that. Jesus says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. As a matter of fact, don't ever, what what he's getting at, don't ever blow your own trumpet. Toot your own horn. Don't ever let people know what you're doing. Just give, and he says, so that then you can give in secret And there is one, notice what he says, there is one who sees in secret. You can't do anything you do outside of the providence and knowledge of God. So be confident, your Father in heaven, he sees in secret. The danger though is, notice what he says there to us, verse 3. I'm sorry, verse 2. That they may be praised by others, truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Some of you have heard me say before, when people give things to the church, and we've had gifts from uh, a teddy bear to take on a mission trip overseas just to give to the kids, and we've had gifts all the way up to a $100,000 gift to our church. And I've seen special gifts come into our church, and some that would just do it, and they wouldn't want anybody else to know. And then I've seen gifts, large and small, that have come to our church. They want the praise of everybody else. I've seen people in our church give, and none of you have ever really known that they've given what, given what they've given. Because they don't do it for the praise of man. They don't want to be seen in public for doing that. And so Jesus is saying, when you do it for the praise of man, when you do it so that others will praise you, then you have received their full reward. I tell uh, those who I'm mentoring based on this text, when someone is wanting the praise for doing something like giving or or praying, then you better give it to them because that's all they get. When someone is clearly wanting the praise for giving something, I want to give it to them because I know they have no reward outside of here. So I'll try to give it to you. If you are begging for it, I'll say, man, that's awesome. Thank you so much. Now, here, church, we need to give honor to those who are due honor, and we need to recognize, but the motive of the heart is what Jesus is saying. And when you are giving, you strive to do it in secret, to give to others, to lift up others in secret, then Jesus is going to see it. He will not miss it. You can't do anything that's outside of the knowledge inside of your heavenly Father, and the one who sees in secret will reward. He will reward. What's the reward? Pleasing my Father. Living like Jesus, being in relationship with him. Go back to, in your mind, chapter 5, when he said, you are the light of the world. So he says, because you're the light of the world, let your light so shine that others might see your good works, not because you're doing them for praise of man, but they'll see them and glorify your Father in heaven. What does he want you to live this way for, to glorify God? So when you do things like this, these disciple habits, and others don't see them, then it's okay because your Father still sees and you with your Father are glorifying Him before Him in relationship, excuse me, with Him. Secondly, let's move on. Verse 5, the praying. There is a disciple habit 
of praying. Notice again, here's the familiarity. We won't spend much time on all of these. When you pray, whenever you pray, the assumption is you're going to give to the needy. The assumption is you're going to pray. Do You must not be like the hypocrites. He says the same thing. You can't do this as a fake. You can stand up and pray and, and make others see you and think that, oh, this is such a godly person. This is a, such a godly woman or godly man. And you're holding that mask and you know in your heart, I'm doing this so that you'll say that. I'm doing this so that you'll notice how pious I am. And you'll say, man, you must be really close to the Lord. Would you pray for me about these things? And that is what really is motivating you. Jesus says, why you do what you do is what matters. So search your heart. When you pray, don't do it like the hypocrites. Don't put up a mask like you're a disciple. If you're not, be who you really are. He says, for they love to stand in the same places. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues when the church was gathered and on the street corners. That they may be seen by others. He says it again, truly I say to you, they've received their reward. The words there, they have received their reward, they, they indicate to us that they've been paid in full. This is all they get. Everything that is your reward, it's what you get when you pray in order for others to see you. So glory in that if that's why you're doing it, it's what he's saying. Revel in that because that's as far as it's going to go. Your father is not going to give you a reward. But, he says, not so with you. For those of you who don't want masks, you want to be a disciple, you want to follow after Christ, then you do this. Verse 6, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. Now notice, in the end of verse 6, he says, your father who sees in secret will reward you. But just before that, he says, your father who is in secret. You can go away from the rest of the world, church. You can shut out all of the world around you, everybody else in your life, but you go into your room and who is there? That's what he says, your father who is in secret. You cannot go outside of his presence. So when you get alone, when no one else is there, know that your father is there and he invites you into relationship with him you're not praying to impress your pastor or your spouse or your children or your small group or your church or the community you are praying because prayer is a tool that God has given you through which you can communicate to him and when you get along he says you then are doing it with motives that are pure you are who you are who you truly are when you are alone let me ask you this same question as with giving. Do you pray when you're alone? If statistics hold true and people are really telling the truth, even evangelical people are really telling the truth in some of the surveys that we read, there are many of you sitting here that you're not even involved in the disciple habit of prayer. You might bow your head when we bow as a church, but that is the extent of your prayer life. Let me encourage you first, depend on God. Spiritual beggars know I have to spend time with my Lord every day. I'm dependent on Him. So if you're not a disciple, then this means nothing to you. There's no caution here. The caution to you was is become a spiritual beggar and come to your Father. But for those of us who know the Lord, the caution for us is let me, even if I have to pray or do pray in public, let me not start desiring the praise of men more than I desire the presence of my Father. Get along, go with him, get into your prayer room. I would tell you, designate a place in your life, maybe in your house, that you could go and it's just you and the Lord. And guard that time so that it's just you and him. He says, your father who is there, he is in secret and he sees in secret. Your reward will be, he will meet with you there. And so then he says, when you pray... Don't do it like the Gentiles. They use empty phrases. They add up words and they really thought 
In many pagan uh, uh, religions, they thought that if I would go before a god and I would say many words and big words, that that deity would have to hear me. And Jesus says, don't be like the pagans. Don't use a different language or some other uh, uh, words that are not natural to you when you pray. Do not be like them, for your Father already knows your needs before you ask Him. So why am I here? I'm here to have communication and relationship with the God of the universe, my Father. So he says, pray then like this. Let me just say before I even get to verse 9 and following, we could spend a whole sermon series on the Lord's Prayer, the disciples' prayer here. Let me just move through because Jesus says, don't do it like this. But now he's going to say, here's how disciples pray. Here's how you are to pray when you're alone in your room and you're not adding up words. He says a couple of things to us. Let me just walk through it. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. He says, praise be to the Lord. Bring praises to the Lord. Holy is your name. Let your name be reverenced. Let it be holy. I believe what we start in our prayer is, Lord, let me praise you for who you are. So prayer includes praising God. Secondly, I believe we pray for the plan and the purpose of God. He says in verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done. Lord, your kingdom, let it come. Your plan, your plan for the kingdom, let it come. Your will, your purpose, your will, let it be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then he says in verse 11, pray for God's provision. Give us this day our daily bread. Lord, we need provision from you. In verse 12, he says we need to pray for the peace of God, both with us and God and with us and others. Forgive us our debts. We need peace with you as we also have forgiven our debtors. So we need peace with God. And then finally, verse 13, he's praying for purity. Jesus says pray for purity. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Notice in verse 14 and 15, he goes on and he comes back to the prayer for peace. And he says there's one part of this prayer that is dependent on you. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven those who have uh, our debtors, those who have trespassed against us. And so he says in verse 14 and 15, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father forgive you. But if you don't forgive others, notice the weightiness of this statement. We'll deal with it again in Matthew 7. We'll deal with it in Matthew 18. So I'm not going to say a lot about it, but there's a weightiness here. If you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you. What he's saying in general, right there is, if your prayer is not from a heart that is transformed by the gospel, living out the gospel, you've been forgiven, you're willing to forgive. If you're putting on a mask, then you will not be forgiven either. What a weighty statement for us. So Jesus says, don't pray like the Gentiles, don't pray like the hypocrites. Pray like this. Pray like a disciple. And so we must move. Thirdly, disciple habit of fasting. Somebody asked me just two weeks ago, so I was reading my Bible, and I read the word fasting. Can you just clarify what fasting is for me? And uh, as a pastor, I thought, oh my Lord, help us to know what fasting is. It's not something that we practice much anymore. And I just want you to know at the very beginning, verse uh, 16, he says, and when you fast, it's an assumption There is not a prescribed fast for the New Testament. As a matter of fact, there's evidence that Jesus' followers, his disciples, when he was here, did not fast very very often. But certainly fasting became a habit, and he's talking about kingdom living here. And he says, and whenever you fast, there's an assumption here that you and I will have times where we will deny our bodies of food and the natural desires of our bodies in order to push ourselves to have desires for God. 
And so he says, and when you fast, do not do it like the hypocrites. Don't put on these masks so that everybody will know I'm fasting. You skip one meal and you act like you're uh, the most pious person that you've ever met or that the person you're talking to has ever met. And so they look gloomy. What's wrong with you today? Oh, I'm fasting. So hard. He says, don't let other people know. Deny your body its physical desires so that you can keep in check your spiritual life and your spiritual desires toward the Lord. And when you go into public, don't put on the mask that you're pious. Just have it as enough, as a reward enough, that you are desiring God and you are keeping in check your physical body. Don't look gloomy like the hypocrites. For they disfigure their faces. There's evidence they might have put ashes on their faces and and they would make it very known that they were fasting. So they look gloomy. They disfigured them with ashes. Jesus says, truly I say to you, when you do that, same thing, you have received your reward in full. Don't look for anything else. You did it so that other people would acknowledge it. They acknowledged it. Hope you're happy. Because that's all you get. Listen to me. Church, if your desire is to increase your reputation, even with those people sitting here that are believers, and you give to the poor so that they will know that person gives, and you pray so that they will know, and that's a praying brother, and you fast so that they will know, boy, they're holy, they even fast. Jesus says, enjoy your reward. You've done it for other people to acknowledge it and for your reputation, you have it. But if you will take steps to give to the needy in secret so that you're not tempted to do it for reputation but for your relationship with the Lord, if you will pray and you will get in secret and meet your Father who is already there, then you will not be doing it for your reputation you'll be doing it for your relationship with the Lord. If you will fast and not let others see and not let others know that how pious you are because you even fast, then you will not be doing it for your reputation. You'll be doing it for your relationship with the Lord. And when you're doing disciple habits so that you can grow in your relationship with our King, your reward will be rich because He will grant such a relationship with you that the things of this world and the reputation you have in front of others will grow dimmer and dimmer and dimmer. And you really won't be concerned with what everybody else thinks about you. You will just live for the pleasure of your king. And that, my friend, is reward enough. He is king forever. Worship Him. Stop being concerned with everybody around you. Work toward making your relationship with God everything to you. And what your Father thinks of you, everything. That's going to require some of us for a short period of time, this morning perhaps, to take a mask off and say, I've been living a lie. I've not really been concerned about my father. I've been concerned about other things. I no longer want to be a hypocrite. Lord, 
I need to confess that sin. Will you forgive me? Here's what the Father says. Come to him as a spiritual beggar and he'll forgive you. And he'll begin to change your motives. Why do you do what you do? You see, here's the part of this sermon that I want to call every one of us to. There are some times when you and I can look at someone and see their motives because they wear them so clearly. But by and large, you're all sitting here beside people and you can't just look at the person beside you and say, I know why you're doing that. And they can't look at you and say, I know why you're doing that. Only the Lord knows and he will reveal it to you. Because I believe you really know. So this morning, I'm going to call us to prayer. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper in just a moment. And Paul warns us not to come to this table in an unworthy manner. So I want us as believers to take some time to say, Lord, am I living in any area of my life like a hypocrite? Am I wearing a mask or can I take it off and say, Lord, I'm going to work to confess the ways that I'm doing things for my reputation. Help me to do what I do as a disciple, to develop disciple habits in my life just for you you see you're the only one that God will reveal your motives to truly but you know them you know why you do the things you do let the spirit just expose your heart confess places that need to be confessed repent of things that need to be repented of and turn to Jesus who will change your heart